Headline Hollywood. Entertainment cronies and cinema elitists hand out awards for excellence in moving pictures. Sometimes the winners don't hold up to the test of time. So we're here in the future to tell them how they got it wrong. This is Switch the Envelope. Welcome to Switch the Envelope, the podcast about movies because movies. My name is Corey. And my name is Jeff. You know, Corey, our show used to be about the many failings of the Academy Awards. It's very true. And you know what we haven't done in a while? A top 20 list? No! Well, yes. But no, we haven't shit on the Oscars in a long time. Well, you know what, Jeff? That ends now. But before we get to the many misgivings of the Academy... This episode of Switch the Envelope Presents is brought to you in no part by Combos. Combos, the number one snack of podcasters everywhere. And it's the snack most people only enjoy while on a road trip. It's probably because, like those little edible flavor tubes, podcasts and road trips are the perfect combo, Jeff. Combos, the perfect food-like solution when you're miles and miles away from actual food. Hey, you know what's another perfect combo? What? PB&J. Combo should totally make a nut butter and jelly variety. That sounds delicious to me. Combos. In 1929, the Academy of Motion, Picture Arts, and Sciences held their first awards gala, recognizing the best work of creative and technical achievement for the motion picture industry. Throughout the decades, landing a seat at the annual Academy Awards ceremony signified the praise and recognition of one's peers. And going home with one of those little golden bastards would become Hollywood's greatest honor. Once that envelope opens, though, 80% of the people sitting in that audience become nothing more than very talented seat fillers. Ooh, Corey, does that mean we have a new theme song? I think it does. Those actors rolling deep, but they are just. Switch the Envelope presents Seat Fillers with Jeff and Corey. Let's paint a little picture for you, shall we? The night is February 25th, 2007. The 79th Academy Awards ceremony has just soared past its third hour and is crawling towards its final stretch of awards at the Kodak Theater in Hollywood. The anticipation is palpable for the five men nominated for Best Actor. The previous year's winner for Best Actress Reese Witherspoon takes the stage. That nervous feeling in the pit of their stomachs is all too familiar for one of those men in particular. As Elle Woods crosses the stage, he undoubtedly has his eyes fixed to that envelope in her hand. When his name is announced as one of the nominees, he likely imagines it will be his name she'd repeat in a few seconds. And when that envelope opened, he sat politely clapping as someone else's name is called, just as he had done at seven previous ceremonies. Oscars 8, Peter O'Toole, 0. At 74, one of the greatest actors of a generation with five decades worth of incredible film roles, including Supergirl, <laughs> had just become the Oscars' greatest seat filler. 
That night, as he reluctantly watched Forrest Whitaker give his acceptance speech, O'Toole's eight goose eggs set a new record that immortalized him in the annals of Academy Award history as, in his words, Oscar's biggest loser of all time. Fuck. After the ceremony, entertainment commentators would surmise that this disappointing milestone was thought to be never duplicated. Surely the Academy wouldn't make this mistake for other Hollywood greats. However, the 93rd annual Oscar ceremony saw Glenn Close tie O'Toole when she failed to capture gold with her eighth nomination. O'Toole's Oscar misses can't wholly be attributed to him not being the most deserving in the given year. He earned those nominations with his immense strength of range, on-screen gravitas, and those dreamy blue eyes. In fact, Peter O'Toole was so good at playing Henry II that he was nominated twice for playing the role in the films Beckett in 1965 and The Lion in Winter in 1969. But just not good enough, apparently. As it so often happens, most of those nomination years came with heavily stacked competition. For example, his fourth nomination in 1970 for his portrayal of the same English schoolmaster that won Robert Donnett an Oscar 30 years prior in Goodbye, Mr. Chips, was overshadowed by some has-been named John Wayne for his swan song performance in True Grit. Hey, Switches, Jeff here. Let us know what you think. Do you think Peter O'Toole should have won for Goodbye, Mr. Chips or John Wayne for True Grit? Send us a message at Switch the Envelope on Instagram or on Twitter at Switch Envelope. I'm personally on the side of True Grit, but you know what? Don't tell Corey that. Okay, back to the show. Peter's fifth nomination came in 1973 for his portrayal of Jack Gurney, the paranoid schizophrenic 14th Earl of Gurney, in The Ruling Class. O'Toole effortlessly blends crazy, comedy, and tragedy. However, he had the misfortune of playing that part in the same year Marlon Brando played his iconic role of Vito Corleone in The Godfather. Brando didn't even accept the award. He gave it away in protest. It's possible he could have given that award to Peter O'Toole, but no. Dicks. His sixth nomination in 1981 for his role of Eli Ross, an overbearing director in the film The Stuntman, probably held a mirror up a little too close to the industry for him to grab victory. That or uh, you know, Robert De Niro burst onto the screen as Jake LaMotta in Scorsese's Raging Bull. In 83, he lost his seventh nomination for his role in My Favorite Year to first-time nominee Ben Kingsley for his betrayal of Gandhi. Even in that first nomination year back in 1963, when hope was high for Peter's victory, having just won the most promising newcomer Golden Globe that year for his unparalleled performance as British officer T.E. Lawrence in the epic film Lawrence of Arabia. He was pitted against the poignant stoicism of Gregory Peck's Atticus Finch in To Kill a Mockingbird. What chance did Peter truly have? Peter's name sat alone atop the flop list for 14 years before Glenn matched his fruitless feat of failure. But before that final envelope opened in 2007, O'Toole actually shared the title of being ghosted the most by the Academy voters with his longtime friend, drinking buddy, and two-time husband of Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton. Sure, 
Burton was first to notch his seven losses from 1953 to 1978, while also being able to claim one more marriage to Elizabeth Taylor than he had supporting actor noms. But O'Toole's lightning-fast losing streak would shave five years off of Burton's pace when he achieved that seventh bomb nomination in 1983. In 1965, the two friends shared an Academy Award year in which they were both nominated for Best Actor. Both then lost to My Fair Lady's Rex Harrison, and then both were relegated back to being seat fillers. Then they did it again in 1970. Unfortunately, Burton would pass away the following year in 1984. Fortunately for O'Toole, though, his path to King of Oscar washouts was now uncontested, though not without some half-assed attempt to mend bridges by the Academy. Four years before Peter's final acting nomination, and 20 years after he had tied Burton, the Academy would select O'Toole to receive an Honorary Achievement Oscar because his remarkable talents have provided cinema history with some of its most memorable characters. Just not memorable enough for the real Oscar, because we all know Honorary Oscars don't mean shit, right? Right. Peter took the gesture as the Academy closing the door on his award-winning potential by throwing him a bone. So he wrote the Academy a polite but strongly worded letter. In his letter, Peter wrote that he was very much still in the game and he would like to win the bugger outright. O'Toole wanted the chance still to earn one. He suggested that the Academy wait 10 more years until he turned 80 and then the Academy could just give him one. Then Academy President Frank Pearson responded to O'Toole by saying that they were going to give it to him now either way. Then, Frank reminded Peter that the probably chocolate-wrapped-in-gold foil award wasn't a marker of retirement, and that a handful of actors such as Paul Newman and Henry Fonda had actually won a competitive Oscar after receiving the pointless honorable one. He'd shove that one in their face four years later with that final nomination, but I guess the Academy got the last laugh on that one also. Dicks. Peter's children ultimately convinced him of the high honor he was being given. And besides, Richard Burton never got a fake Oscar, so fucking score one for Pete. At the 75th Annual Academy Awards on March 23, 2003, 21-time Oscar nominee and three-time Oscar winner Meryl Streep presented O'Toole with his totally legit golden statue. Oh man, they were really just rubbing it in with the whole seven noms and they just give you the damn thing right in his face with Meryl Streep up there. Could have been worse. Could have had like Kate Winslet. Nevertheless, Peter took to the Oscar stage that night, grasped that statue, and quipped, Always a bridesmaid, never a bride, my foot! I have my very own Oscar now, to be with me till death do us part. Throughout his storied career, Peter O'Toole proved to movie fans time and again that he was much more than just an Academy Awards seat filler. His works will continue to awe and inspire generations to come. Before we end, we'd like to leave you with Peter's own words from that night in 2003. Hey, Switches, Jeff here. We wanted to put uh, Peter O'Toole's own words here, but the Academy Awards would pretty much sue us. So here's Corey reading Peter O'Toole's words from the Academy Awards in his best Peter O'Toole voice. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to do a Peter O'Toole voice. (laughs) Hey, Switches, this is Jeff here. Corey's not going to read a Peter O'Toole voice because uh, he doesn't want to do that. But we're going to go on with him reading Peter O'Toole's speech at the 75th Academy Awards. I wish the Academy to know that I am as delighted as I am honored. And I am honored. The magic of movies enraptured me when I was a child. As I totter into antiquity, movie magic enraptures me still. 
Having already bagged this baby, spared uncertainties prior to the opening of an envelope, I am able to think. I think of our colleagues, our old friends now gone, who played their parts in this ceremony. I think of the sumptuous talents alive and well and with us now. I think of the astounding young and gifted, able young men and women who I meet practically every time I go to work and of whom I grabbed energy in handful. And now, at this last, you've given me this delightful shock. You are very good, and I thank you. Indeed. Mr. O'Toole, you were very good, and we thank you. Thanks for listening to Switch the Envelope Presents Seat Fillers. Peter O'Toole. If you like what you heard, please rate and review and subscribe to our show on your preferred podcast player. And if you'd like to carry on the conversation, please follow us on Instagram at Switch the Envelope or on Twitter at Switch Envelope. Of course, you can always go to switchtheenvelope.com for all your Switch the Envelope needs. And until next time, go watch a Peter O'Toole film. And we'll see you later, Switches. And make sure that Piero 2 film is... Super Super Girl. Girl. (laughs) Switch the Envelope is written and produced by Jeff and Corey. Switch the Envelope is a Riff Laugh production. Switch the Envelope is mixed and mastered at Studio 85. If you don't believe our research, we don't really care. Thank you very much.